Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Well, it's a blessing. I, 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 I thought we on the way here, I, I didn't know if... Uh, it was getting darker and darker and darker, and <laughs> and then it got lighter and lighter and lighter, and then darker and darker and darker, and so I wasn't sure what was going on, but but we made it. A couple of announcements and prayer requests. Miss Pookie and her husband are doing well. Uh, Miss Pookie, does, she does, she's not sure that she has COVID, but her husband definitely does. They're both doing okay, but now um, there was it her daughter and son-in-law. They have tested positive for COVID. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's there's nothing you can do about it. It, it is what it is. Um, yeah, it's not, you know, people act like there's something you can do to prevent it, and there's not. You, you can't wear a mask. You can't take vaccines. You can't, there's nothing you can do about it. It just, it is what it is. So Miss Kathleen is home with some breathing issues. So pray for her um, that she has those spells from time to time. So keep her in your prayer. Brother Hoyt has some upcoming appointments. So make sure to continue to pray for him. Um, Brother Nathan is traveling. Miss Holly did not leave him. But because he's traveling, Miss Holly will be singing a couple of specials tonight. Did you want to do that before or after the... <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, continue to pray for Jacob Rutledge. He should be here May 5th, uh, Saturday at 4 p.m. We'll have public ministry, Lord willing, and uh, we will stand out on the street corner for Jesus Christ and tell people about the Lord. Uh, church invitations are on the back table. Please give those out to as many people as possible. And also have another surprise. Victory Baptist Press is going to print and mail all 12,000 or 12,000 plus invitations on our behalf for free. So what I need from you is, number one, to pray for those because they have the gospel on them and they're going to go out to every home in the 39452 zip code. So Lord willing, it'll be every resident in that zip code. And it has the gospel on it, and it has our church info on it, 
And what I, the second thing I need you to do is if you get one, let me know so that I can, that way we know they're, they're, they're going out, they're going around. So, um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, they, they, are, they, they sent me the proof today. I'll try to uh, download that and see if I can send it out in that text message so you can see it, what it will look like. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's nice. It looks good. They did a good job. Uh, they haven't printed them. That's the next step. They'll be printing them, and then they'll, I mean, we don't have to do anything. They're, they're going to print them, and they're going to mail them. And so it'll go to every home in our every, yeah, every home in our in our zip code. So that's a, a blessing. Be praying about that. It's not only an opportunity for people to recognize that we're here, but also it's it has the gospel on it. And it, we won't take that very serious anytime we get to send out the gospel at that scale. Uh, work day, March 30th at 9 a.m. Mark Waddington will be with us March 24th. April 1st. I plan to start a Monday night Bible study. Anyone who's interested is, is welcome to come. I, I know I, I almost hate to do it because everybody, everybody in our church is so busy, they don't need one more thing to do. <laughs> um, but it is important to have a night where we can sit down and, and we're not rushing through a passage or an idea. We can just take our time and, and teach it in depth. And more Bible teaching is never a bad thing. More time away from the world and under the uh, sound of God's word is never a bad thing. So um, that, that'll start. April 1st is the first Monday. We're not changing anything at all right now. Not, not at all. I mean, I, I get off and make it from Pascagoula to here at about 5.30. Now, I know some people will and won't be able to do that. We'll, we'll revisit that when this room is full of people who have jobs, who are scattered all over the place if we need to. Yes, ma'am. Um, my, well, my plan for now is to probably start at 6. It'll be from 6 to 8, and um, that's if I can keep that up because I'll still be working full-time. <laughs> And driving from Pascagoula. So as long as I can get here and get set up and get us going, then that's what we will do. Um, Saturday, I have a big test to take. I have been studying nonstop. My brain is on fire. So I wake up at about 5.30, 6 a.m., get dressed, Take, take practice tests. Go to work, work all day, come home, take practice tests. Put my children to bed, study the Bible, take more practice tests. <laughs> and so that, that has been my schedule for a few weeks now. If I pass this test, it will help me, uh, Lord willing, uh, it, it, it would help in my current job. And, and um, we'll, see how, we'll see how helpful they think it is. If they find it financially helpful, that would be great. Um, it, it's a great job. I would hate to, to leave it. But we, we, with everything that we need to take care of between the church, my family, and by June, I have to start paying for the, the Bible translation work out of pocket again. I have to generate more income. It's just not going to happen at our current rate of income. So, all right, let's sing together. Amen. Thank you for singing. Romans chapter 1, 
and we'll read verses 16 and 17 together. Uh, real quick, before we start that, have, have any of you heard from uh, Miss Hazel since Sunday? Nobody? Okay. And the lady that was with her, does she know her or? Okay. Well, she was walking downtown when we were out there holding signs, that lady was. So, um, anyways, just check in on her, make sure everything's okay. Nothing to be alarmed about, just want to make sure she's doing all right. All right, Romans 1, verses 16 through 17. I was thinking about that while we are singing instead of thinking about the songs. (laughs) Um, Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We're going to spend a few sermons together uh, in the coming weeks on the righteousness of God. And um, I, I am of a mind to preach several sermons. We'll see. I, I don't want it to become so redundant that, it, that, that, that you lose sight of it. My, my intention is to highlight the, grace, the, the, the righteousness of God. There are plenty of people highlighting the grace of God. In fact, they, they love to highlight the grace of God. And there's nothing wrong with highlighting the grace of God. But you can't do that at the, with the absence of the righteousness of God. And uh, the two go hand in hand. In fact, our, what, we, what we know to be salvation can't exist if God is not both gracious and righteous. And both have to be equally satisfied. Otherwise, you have an unjust God, which we know that we don't, we don't have. He, can't be, he doesn't want to go all the way in the direction of righteousness, which would land you and I in hell with no remedy. And he can't go all the way in the direction of grace, which would mean there's no penalty for our sin. Because there there is penalty for our sin. There has to be payment for our sin. So a gracious and a righteous God sent his own son to pay for our sin in our place and our stead. And so the problem is the righteousness of God, about the last place you're going to hear about it is here. When was the last time you heard somebody come up and say, oh, God is just so righteous? No, they come up and say, God's so loving. He's so kind. He's so gracious. Well, praise the Lord, he is. But have you considered that he's also very judgmental and he's angry with the wicked in the way that they live their lives and he's a righteous God and he's going to hold you to a righteous standard? I'm thankful that you understand he he is love. The Bible says that. He is gracious. He is long-suffering. He is merciful. All of those are wonderful. Redemption is, is a great thing. The Bible says God has plenteous redemption and he has plenteous grace but none of that exists if somebody didn't die a brutal death as a substitution for for our place in our place for our sin and then was buried and rose again the third day and of course we know that to be Jesus Christ the righteous of God, the righteousness of God gets overlooked and left out in churches today, because it's not popular, it's not fun. When, when you start dealing with areas of righteousness, people get really uncomfortable. Because God is so righteous, it is inevitably going to reveal great lack 
in your life, in your character, in your person. And so what ends up happening is they say, well, I'm feeling uncomfortable. You're pointing out flaws in me, and I don't want to talk about that. I know you don't want to talk about that, but if you don't deal with it and come to understand it, you're going to die and go to hell, which would be a terrible mistake to make because you're feeling a little uneasy right now. How are you going to feel in hell for eternity? That might you might let that thought exceed the discomfort that comes with being confronted with the righteousness of God. That, that'd be a better way to handle that. But righteousness gets left out. And it's essential to understand righteousness. If, if we understand, understand our God, he is righteous. The Lord himself is, is called in the Bible, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You don't get God without the righteousness. And praise the Lord, you don't get God without the love and the mercy and the grace, but you also don't get him without the righteousness, the judgment, the holiness. All that comes together. It's a complete package. You can't leave one or the other out. You can't major on one or the other. That's, that's where the difficulty comes in. And, and hellfire and brimstone preaching, they tend to lean more towards the righteousness and the anger of God. And in the liberal, progressive, whatever, skinny jean wearing, dancing crowd, they tend to lean more towards the grace and the love of God. And he's just so kind and, and is happy with everything we do. And that's not true. Neither one is true. God said, don't turn to the left hand or to the right or you're going to end up in a ditch. We don't want to end up in a ditch. We want a balanced view of who God is, and you don't get that balanced view without talking about the righteousness of God along with those other attributes, which are so important. They're all true. They're all real. They're all, they're all important. They're essential. And in our passage, look at back at verse 17. For therein is, is the righteousness of, righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So therein, referring back to the gospel, the gospel which is the power of God, it's the power of God unto salvation. In that gospel, when it's preached, its ultimate outcome will reveal the righteousness of God. And see, that's the problem. Is this going to highlight, highlight your sin in light of his righteousness? There's a reason Christ had to die on the cross. It wasn't for his own sin. It wasn't something that he had done wrong. It was your sin and my sin that put him on the cross. So now you're going to have to take that and set it beside. You're going to put your sin and Jesus Christ side by side, and there's going to be a glaring problem. You've been thinking to yourself, I'm doing pretty good. I'm okay. I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. I'm not as bad as this person or that person. But then when you get set side by side with Jesus Christ, you cringe at the fact that it was your sin that put a righteous, innocent, holy man on the cross in your place. Then it becomes very serious. And what will result is either righteous indignation and anger, or the person will break down and, and, and end up with a, with a broken and a contrite heart. Which one did you have? Which one do you have? Do you compare yourself to Jesus Christ? Do you compare yourself to the people in this world? It's so easy to find somebody in this world you're better than, that you're doing better than, that you, you treat other people better than this person or that person. But anytime you set out to compare yourself, a sinner, against other sinners, well, how's that going to help you? 
You will always find the worst sinner to compare yourself to and then thereby justify yourself. I'm doing great. That's not what God said to do. You have fallen short of the glory of God. That's the comparison. And that God is righteous. And the reason people run away from the gospel is because that gospel reveals that righteousness in light of your sin. And then you find out you and God are miles apart and that God is not happy with everything you do. And God is love, but he loves you enough to bash you in the head if he needs to or send you to hell. And you don't want to make the mistake of confusing God's grace and God's mercy with some form of weakness or unjust forgiveness. That's not going to happen. If you want to have your sins forgiven, you must approach God the way he said to approach him. And the only way to approach him is to put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But understanding that gospel is going to bring you face to face with the righteous judgment of God. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. We, we earned it. For the wages of sin is death. I worked all day today. Because I worked all day today, they owe me wages. Well, at the end of your life, God's going to give you what you worked for. Or, or you can receive the gift of God through Jesus Christ. It's, it's incredible the way that's laid out. You have the wages of sin set apart from the gift of God. You can either earn your, take your wages that you've earned, or you can, you can leave those sitting over there and go over there and receive the gift of God. It's up to you. It all comes through Jesus Christ and, and in the end reveals the righteousness of God. This, this gospel informs us that, that God is righteous. And since God felt it was important to reveal his righteousness, then it would be good for us to define God's righteousness or at least, at least understand it from its, its different perspectives throughout our New Testament. This revelation helps us understand that God will save your soul but he will not violate his righteousness to do so. If you are to be saved, it must be done in such a way as to ensure that God's mercy and grace are in perfect alignment with his judgment and righteousness. Neither can be violated, otherwise God would be sinful or unjust, and that's not possible. They said, well, I mean, maybe you made a mistake. No, no, it's not possible. It's not even, it's not even, a, it's not even a, a, a possibility. It couldn't exist. And so we trust God and we trust his gospel. Look at Romans 4. We'll look at several passages on this idea. And, and it, they will reveal the righteousness of God from different perspectives. Romans 4, verses 1 through 8. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, it, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. You see that. How, how did Abraham receive the righteousness of God? He believed him. God said, Abraham, I want you to get up. I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees. Well, where do you want me to go, Lord? I'll tell you later. Okay, just go in this direction. 
And if you'll believe me and trust me, in exchange for your, your belief, I will give you my righteousness. That's, that's the proposition. God says, here's what I have to say to you. If you will believe what I have said to you, in exchange for that belief, I will give you my righteousness. Abraham wasn't saved by keeping the law. There was no law. The law didn't come for hundreds of years later. There was no law for Abraham to keep. All Abraham had to do was believe God. Do you want to have your sins forgiven and your soul saved? Believe God. Do you want to live a righteous and a holy life? Believe God. That's it. Well, what works do I have to do? No, no. If you'll get the belief right, the works will follow. But if you don't get the belief right, the works will never follow. If you try to put the works ahead of the belief, you're going to find yourself working in a religious system that's only going to have you frustrated and angry in the end. It doesn't work that way. You want the, you want the works to come from a place of belief. Because I believe what God said, therefore I do. I don't, I don't do in order to get something from God. I believe God. God said, don't lie. Well, because I believe God, I strive not to lie. God said, don't commit adultery. It'll be horrible for you. So because I believe God, I don't commit adultery. I, I stay loyal to my wife all the time. All right, and so, so the, 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 the works will follow. They will follow belief. It doesn't work the other way around. It doesn't make sense the other way around. Um, verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned. You see that. If, you, if you're working to receive something from God, it will not be given to you. If you read that again. Verse 4, Now to him that worketh. All right, what, what's that being compared to? Look at verse 3. For what saith the Scriptures, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now... To him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And so here's the idea. If I can work, if I could do enough religious works, then God will owe me. I will put God in debt. That's not going to happen. That, that's, that's completely backwards. You're not going to get to heaven and God's going to say, well, let me see what I owe you. That, that's not you have an opportunity to earn rewards, but it's not a debt. <laughs> it's, it's extra gifts that God wants to give you because you have served him as a Christian. But God said, if you will believe me in exchange for your belief, I will render to you my righteousness because you have none of your own. You are not righteous. God, our attempt to be righteous, God said, ends up being nothing more than filthy rags. Who would like to use a filthy rag? Anybody? So you're going to show up before God and say, here's my righteousness. And God's just going to cringe. Like, get that garbage out of here. You wouldn't want it in your house. Why would you offer it to God? God said, set all that aside, throw all that out. Here's what I said. Do you believe that? If you will believe what I said, we're going all the way back to Abraham. All the way back to Abraham, all Abraham had to do was believe God. And if Abraham believed God, 
what God wanted Abraham to do, the physical works, would follow. And they did. Most of the time. Sometimes Abraham made a mess of things. Who would like to be married to Abraham? Anybody? <laughs> hey, we're going to Egypt. Uh, <laughs> don't tell them you're my wife. <laughs> but because it, but 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 it wasn't it wasn't based on Abraham's works. It was based on the fact that Abraham believed. God, and because Abraham believed God, he received the righteousness of God, no matter how many stupid things he did and foolish decisions he made. Sarah, oh, here's Hagar. Come on in and, and spend some time with her. That, no, that, that's, that's not, that's not going to work out well. It's going to get you in trouble. But because he believed God, he believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. But let, what about under the law? Verse 6, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Abraham is before the law. David is in the right smack in the middle of the law. And God said of a man who was under the law, that, that man received my righteousness without works. It's because he believed me. That has always been the requirement. That never changed. So in the Old Testament, if you were under the law, if you believed God, guess what you would do? You would try and keep the law because you believed God. You didn't keep the law to earn salvation because God said, here's what I want you to do on, on the Sabbath, and here's what I want you to do on Monday and Tuesday and, the, and, the, and the, the Sabbath years and Jubilee and all these different things that come up in the law. Here's what I want you to do. And because they believed God, then they did them. But if you were doing that to try and earn salvation or to earn some sort of favor from God, you failed. It was not going to work. In fact, that was the entire point of the law. And so, so God said, here's a man before the law, he believed me and I gave him righteousness. Here's a man under the law, he believed me and I gave him righteousness. Neither one earned righteousness and put God in debt. Right? That, that's essential to understand. Verse 7, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So, so here we put it all together. God said, here's my word. Will you believe me? Abraham and David said, I believe. God said, I, I am going to impute to you. That's, that's a, 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 a mathematical term. It's a, it's a financial term. It's like, it's like a, a reconciliation term. I'm going to impute to you my righteousness, and I'm not going to impute your sin. You give me your belief. In exchange for belief, I give you righteousness, and I don't look at your sin. And these men ended up in paradise. Now, this is not the same thing as someone who trusted in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It is very similar in that the way that you receive the righteousness of God and the way that I receive the righteousness of God is we believe what God told us, which is trust in my son. And if you have done that, your sins are forgiven, your soul is saved, and you have received the righteousness of God. Amen? All right. Um, when we get to this passage, we'll spend a lot of time on that. We'll get to chapter 4 because it's, it's extremely important. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The doctrine of imputation sounds so much more theological when you say it that way. We'll have a course on the imputation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Well, praise the Lord. How do you get in Christ? Well, well, according to chapter 12, or uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's the baptism of the Spirit. Well, how does that happen? You believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all links together perfectly. And, and makes so much sense. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given, us, given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I hope you have taken up your ministry. As God said, he gave that to everybody who's in Christ. Uh, not, not men, not females, everybody. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are responsible to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. That, that to wit, as it, it is it going to go on to say, you're supposed to be in Christ, in the world, reconciling people to God. That's your job if you're saved. All right, that's our responsibility. Verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not, not imputing their trespasses. You see that? That sound familiar? So we just read in Romans 4, God said that doctrine was applicable to Abraham and David. Guess who else it's applicable to? You and I. In fact, they are held up as the example of how a person is saved. By faith in what God said. What did God say to us? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's, that's what he says. That's what he wants you to know. That's what he wants you to believe. So not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. All right, now, the entire tone and context of the chapter is that all this is predicated on the fact that you are in Jesus Christ. So here's what happens. God took our sin, put it on the body of Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. He died, was buried. He rose again the third day. Now, if you trust in him, God takes you away from your sin and puts you in the body of the one who knew no sin. And, and through that process, we are made the righteousness of God. You didn't earn it. 
You, you're not going to show up and God's going to say, man, did you see that one, how they lived? <laughs> That's pretty good. They, 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 they earned a lot of righteousness. That's, that's not how it's going to work. You're going to show up before God, and the question is going to be, are you in my son or not? Everything else you get will, will be predicated on the answer to that question. Are you in Christ Jesus? If you are, come on in. Here's your inheritance. Here's the place that's prepared for you. Here's, here's everything I promised to those who would trust in my son. If you're not, if you haven't trusted in my son and you stand before God and you say, look at all the mighty works I did in your name, you already know what the answer is going to be. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. Yeah, but look what I did. That's the problem. What you did was wrong. But, but I did all this in your name. I didn't tell you to do that in my name. I told you to trust in my son. That is your only option. And if you'll trust in my son, I will make you the righteousness of God. Man. I will put you in his body, the one who knew no sin, and make you the righteousness of God, the one who died for your sin. That's pretty incredible. Man. And all you got to do is get in, in Christ Jesus. And the only way in is to trust in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. From that moment, God takes care of everything else. All you have to do is make the decision. It's your choice. Look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 3 through 7. We'll read these together. And notice... All the Old Testament characters who live by faith. How is this not an entire chapter on keeping the law? The whole chapter, the whole chapter is about living by faith in what God said. The whole chapter. And yet, as we talked about Sunday evening, you still have large groups of people who, who will show up to your church and fight with you and argue over, over people in the Old Testament keeping the law to be saved. And yet we have an entire list of people from the Old Testament, and God said, you know why they're here? Because they live by faith. Right? Now, I don't doubt people in the Old Testament attempted to keep the law, but that was not a means of justification. Those were the works that followed their faith in what God said to do. And that's it. There's nothing, nothing, there's no other way to approach it. Verses three through seven. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Now, do you, do you see the order there? God gave Abel the instruction. Abel had faith in the instruction. And so what followed the faith? Sacrifices. Proper sacrifices in accord with what God said. Well, what happened to Cain? He got the same instruction from the same God, but gave a different sacrifice that won't work. Why did Cain, why did Cain give a different sacrifice? He didn't believe God. He thought, well, I'll, I'll just give this. 
But that's not what God said. God said to give A, you showed up with B, you failed. And you didn't fail because of the work. There was no initial faith to get you from A to B. There was no initial trust in what God said that would lead you to do what God said. Right? And so, so Cain's problem was not that he showed up with a bad sacrifice. He didn't follow the instructions giving him, given him, which demonstrated there was no faith. And that distinction is very important. Verse 3, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was, he was what? Righteous. His faith led to good works, and that combination led to righteousness. In exchange for his faith, he ended up, he ended up with the fruits of righteousness. God testifying of his gifts, and by it, the being, uh, and, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Imagine that. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. All right, now, how was he translated? By faith. He believed God and put himself in a position to receive the blessing of God and and, and the works of God. Um, By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, that takes us right back to the beginning of the chapter. What did God say? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And you come back down to verse 6. But without faith, so, so this was Enoch's testimony that he pleased God. But how did he do that? Well, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, not work for him, not labor for him, not, do, not keep the law. Now, there was no law in Enoch's time, but... but They still had word from God. They had instruction from God that they were expected to believe and to obey. Their belief led to righteousness. God said, you believe me? If you believe me, I give you my righteousness. Now, because of your belief, good works will follow. The right things will follow. What you're going to do is going to be good and right and all those wonderful things. Verse 7, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as, as yet, moved with fear, uh-oh, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir. You see that? Of the righteousness, which is by what? Faith. So how did he get that righteousness? Faith. But what was an important ingredient? The fear of God. And you're going to see that in these next few passages. Because he feared God, he trusted God, which God says, you should fear him. And, and I, I get so frustrated because this is what happens today. That You read in the Bible, God says, you need to fear me. It's important for you that you fear me. And what people do is they get up and they preach and they say, well, 
Fear doesn't mean he wants you to be scared of him. Yes, he does. He wants you to recognize what he is capable of doing to you and allow that fear to motivate you to trust him. And then through that trust, you end up getting all the benefits and the fruits of his love and his grace and his mercy. If you don't fear God, you're not going to do what he says. Do you know why my children at this point do what I say? Because <laughs> they fear me. And I won't admit whether I have or have not given them reason to fear me. But they fear me. And they fear me because they are disciplined if they disobey. Now, here's the problem. Mommy can walk in the room and say, you two go sit down. And they just keep doing what they're doing. They just ignore her like she never said anything, which drives me up the wall. Then I walk in and I don't even have to say anything. They already know they were disobeying mommy and they take off running to do what mommy said, but try to act like, well, we were just kind of doing it anyways. We weren't really trying to disobey. They don't fear mommy. They love mommy. Mommy's nice to them. Mommy gives them good things. Mommy, mommy gives them treats and, and all these, you know, that, not daddy. Not that I don't give them treats, but it's rare. <laughs> I, am, I have more of the taking away than mommy does. And, and, and that balance needs to be in their life. They need the comfort and the, the kindness and the love of mommy. And they need the sternness of daddy. That's why you have people roaming your streets today who don't care about punching old people in the face or robbing you or raping you or stealing from you. They don't care about your life at all because they didn't have a daddy at home to help them understand what the fear of God is. And because of that, they just run wild and tear things apart and nobody cares. There's no fear of God. If you don't fear God, when God says, here's what I want you to do, you're going to say, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. You don't fear God. And because you don't fear God, you're not going to believe God. And because you don't believe God, you're not going to receive the righteousness of God, which means you're going to lift up your eyes in hell being in torment. Have it your way. But understand, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You're walking, you're leaning under your own understanding, you're setting yourself up for eternity in hell because you want to do what you want to do rather than obeying God and doing what he said to do and receiving the, the, the fruits and the benefits of trusting God. Look, it's, it's, it, I understand, look, I don't want somebody telling me what to do. Who, who does? I don't want a boss coming in saying, go do this. I'd rather turn around and slap him. <laughs> but if you do that, guess what happens? I got to go home and explain to my children why we're not going to eat or have a place to live. Because I couldn't have enough self-control to let somebody else who's in charge tell me what to do. That's ridiculous. Humble yourself. Get over yourself. Let somebody help you and direct you and tell you what needs to be done. Then, then shut up and go do it. Well, God is telling you, you want, you want your sins forgiven? You want to go to heaven when you die? You want to be with Jesus Christ? Here's what I require you to do. You're going to trust in my son. That's the only thing available to you. And if you don't do that, you're going to pay for your own sin. 
The choice is yours. Trust in Jesus Christ. I forgive you. I bring you to be with me. Reject my son and try and do things your own way. I will ensure to it. You lift up your eyes in hell being in torment. There will be no surprises. And so we, we, don't, we don't want to go that direction. Noah feared God and it encouraged his faith in God. If you understand what God, when, when somebody tells me, when I tell somebody, look, if you don't trust in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And they said, well, I'll, you know, we get to hell, I'll do this and I'll do that. No, 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 no. You, you, you've lost the fear of God. You don't know what you're saying. You have entered foolish territory mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And if you don't get out of there, you're in serious trouble. Leave now, but it's up to you. If you want to stay there, then that, that's, that's on you. Forgiveness is available. A way out is available. But you have to take it. Nobody's going, nobody's going to force you. Nobody's going to make you. Acts 17. A few more stops. Acts chapter 17. Verses 29 through 31. Acts 17, 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God. Now you see that. We are, we are not the children of God. We are the offspring of God. God made man. All right. So we, you did come from God. He made you. But you're not his child until you trust in Jesus Christ. You're of your father, the devil, until you trust in Jesus Christ. Don't, don't confuse that. Don't let a Catholic teach you otherwise. You'll, you'll end up in confusion. Um, back to verse 17. Um, where was I? Chapter, chapter 17, verse 29. Miss Pat got me all confused. Oh, okay. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, uh, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance... God winked at, all right? So there was a period of time that God said, okay, we'll let that slide a little bit. All right, you're, at, you're in darkness. You don't have light. So we'll, we'll, I'll wink at it a little bit here and there, but, but eventually you're going to have to come off that. Eventually you're going to be held 100% accountable. And Romans 1 says, if you have seen creation, you have seen enough to know that there's a God and you're subject to him and, and that you are without excuse. That, that is enough for God to judge you and, and send you to an eternal hell. Uh, I wouldn't toy with him. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, uh, back to verse uh, 29, uh, verse 30, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now again, if you're a Calvinist, you're in serious trouble when you come across this verse. Well, I believe God foreordained everything. Oh, he commanded all men everywhere to repent. Why would he foreordain every, the majority of the world to reject him and also write in his word that all men everywhere need to repent? Right. Which one is it? Is his grace irresistible or not? If it's irresistible, how could he command all men everywhere to repent and the majority of the world completely reject him? That, that's that's kind of hard to reconcile. Verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath, whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him up from the dead. And when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear more. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more. What is this? 
I want to rise from the dead. Uh, sounds cool. When it's time for you to be judged, you're going to be judged in righteousness. It's not going to be an emotional thing. It's going to be very objective. There's a clear standard. It's written down. Your life is recorded and the books are written. And God's going to open the books that, that of your life, of everything that's been recorded, and compare it to the, to the righteous judgment of God. And it's going to be a very objective. You're not going to convince Jesus otherwise. He's going to say, look, those who wanted to keep the law, he's going to open it and say, here it is. You said you, said you thought I wanted you to keep it, and you didn't. What are you going to do now? Well, what can I do? Nothing. You should have trusted in me. And they didn't do that, so they're not going to receive the righteousness of God. Instead, they're going to receive the righteous judgment of God. You don't want that. You want to receive, you want this exchange to come because, I, Lord, I fear you. Because I fear you, I'm trusting your word. And in exchange for your trust, for your belief, for your faith, God says, here's my righteousness. In fact, you trusted in my son. I'm going to put you in my son and make you my righteousness. Or you can stand before God and receive the righteous judgment of God. And I'm telling you, it's going to be hard to stand on that day. If you're lost and you stand before God and that, that judgment begins to, to pour out, that voice begins to come from that throne, you're, you're going to collapse under the weight. And with no time to recover, you'll be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. I, I don't understand why someone would, would choose that route. Luke chapter 1. A few more, three or four more stops and we'll be done. Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, verses 67 through 75. Those will be fun to cover in Sunday school when I have 40 minutes to cover 70 plus verses. Or is it, it goes all the way to 80. Praise the Lord. That'll be exciting. Verse 67. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in, in the house of his uh, servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which he uh, which have been which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the land of all that hate us, to perform the mercy to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. How long? All the days of our life. Whoa. So we are reminded of the, of the intimate connection between the fear of God and the righteousness of God. And this is, um, was it Simeon who's talking in this passage? This is a joyous moment for him. It's an exciting moment for him. He gets to lift up the Messiah in the temple and tell people, look, here he is. And all he can talk about is how this fear led him to faith 
And that faith led him to righteousness. And God expects you to live that way all the days of your life. Now, here, here's the, we, we've, we've been hinting at it the whole time. Your faith in what God said is going to lead you, is going to lead you to, your fear of, what, of God is going to lead you to put your faith in what God said. And your faith in what God said is going to lead you to do what God wants you to do. Which means you'll be living in holiness and righteousness, right? Well, how long does God expect you to do that? Every day of your life. Now, initially, you start out, you don't know anything, you don't understand anything, you don't have any Bible knowledge, and you're going to stumble a little bit. Because what do you know about living the Christian life? Well, unfortunately, in America, everybody thinks they know everything <laughs> until they start studying the Bible and find out, well, maybe I don't know anything at all. <laughs> And, and when you come to that understanding, you start studying more. And as Lester Roloff used to say, when I learned better, I started doing better. <laughs> and so as you progress towards death or the end of your life, Lord willing, you get better and better. And you trust God more and more. And you believe God more and more. And you live a more righteous and a more holy life. And you just keep moving on in that pattern until the Lord takes you to be with him. And then he completely fixes all the problems that, that were left over. And he expects that to be an everyday thing, a lifelong thing. Look at Philippians 3. A few more stops and we'll be done. I know I said that already, but I'm trying to encourage you. It's almost over. Endure to the end and you'll be in the kingdom. Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6. And though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof uh, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Whew. That's written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is not just a flippant thing Paul's throwing out. He is saying that, that, that if anybody came close to keeping the law, that man did it. If any man was, was, could, could be accounted, at least among his brethren, as blameless, it was Paul. So if you want to boast of how good you think you are, well, you compare yourself to Paul. You don't measure up to him. And that's not even the measurement. It's Jesus Christ. Now, that's not his point. He's not boasting about himself. He's trying to tell you, he's trying to demonstrate to you, I was as close to keeping the law as a man could be, and I needed Jesus Christ. You're not. So you need him as much as I do. You failed one time. You failed. It's over. There is no, well, I kept it 98%. I think the Lord will let me in. No, no, no. We, we've, we've used this illustration before. But if you're going to make a leap across the Grand Canyon, what happens if you make it 98% of the way? You don't make it. <laughs> you're done. You want to make it 100% or you don't make it, right? And so uh, that, that's, that's the point here is he's telling you, look, I, I, I did as great a job of keeping the law as possible, and I needed Jesus Christ. You haven't. You need Jesus Christ. I haven't. I need Jesus Christ. We need a Savior. He needed a Savior. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. That Savior is Jesus Christ. But if you could keep the law... Every day, you would be righteous. You would be blameless. 
Let's say from day one, you never broke the law. You kept it perfectly every day. You would not need a savior. The only person who could say that is Jesus Christ himself, who came to keep the law to demonstrate it could have been done and then died and was buried and rose again the third day. 2 Corinthians 9. Two more stops. 2 Corinthians 9 and Matthew 5, and we'll be done. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall, shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he, as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things. Everybody see that? God said, if you, you, you give, if you give, then I, I can make all grace abound toward you. Well, what does that mean? Always, all sufficiency, all things. You'll abound in every good work. If you give. If you don't give, no problems between you and God. Just don't expect this. If you do give, then you can expect that God's going to make your clothes last longer, your car last longer, your house last longer. Your, your, it's not going to make you rich. That's not the point. This is not sowing seed. This is not, this is not an investment to make you rich. And, you know, if you, if you buy God off, he'll give you enough of a return. God's not a banking investor. No, this is going to do two things. This is going to bring the blessing of God upon your life now, and it's going to lay up treasure for you in heaven. Not here. You're not going to come back one day and, and put, throw some money in the pot and then God reach his hand out with a million dollars. That's just not how it's going to, that's not how it's going to work. That's not how this, this functions. All right, so if you give, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Well, praise the Lord. Sounds good to me. Sign me up. As it is written, he that dispersed abroad, he, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. How long? Forever. All right, so here, here's the deal. What you give is between you and God. I, I, I don't care. It, the things that we want to do for the Lord, I am confident the Lord will pay for them. He will provide for them. We need things here. We need this building fixed up. We need to get missionaries on that wall and, and, and the word of God going around the world. All that costs money. In fact, nearly every part of the Christian life costs money. That's just how it is. It, it's, it's, a, it's a sacrificial giving life. That's the way God designed it. That's the way it is. But God said what you give will demonstrate to him your love for him. What you give is not going to impress me. It's not going to impress other people in the church, or at least it shouldn't. If it does, you have your reward. It's over for you. All right? You say, thanks. I'm glad I impressed you. That's not what you want to do. You want to please God. And your giving pleases God. And your giving causes God to make righteousness abound to you forever. Think about that. That means every dime, every dollar I put into the gospel of Jesus Christ, into the church of Jesus Christ, in exchange for that, God sends me his righteousness, 
which will abound forever. It never fails. I don't have to wake up one day and say, oh, the, the righteousness market has crashed. <laughs> no, it's forever. Settled in heaven. The Lord, the Lord loves you that much. He wants to know, do you love him? Well, of course I do. Okay, show me. Well, how do I do that? There it is. Put your money in. All right now, look, I don't know who gives. I don't know what's given. I've never seen a single check that comes into this church. I don't, I'm, I'm, people get so uncomfortable when people, you know, people start, all, all these preachers talk about is money. We have not. Well, when, when, how often, how long have I been here and how often have I preached on money? <laughs> This might be the first time. It might have been mentioned once or twice before, but I, don't, I can't think of another time it was. It comes up. I will talk about it when it comes up in Scripture. And that's it. Because I don't care about your money. I don't even get paid to be here. And I don't say that as an insult. I am okay with that. I love this. I don't do it for money. I want to see this church thrive and in order to make sure this church thrives, it's going to mean me giving my time and energy and effort without financial compensation for a measure of time. I am perfectly fine with that. I don't care. I would rather give so that in the end I stand before God and he looks at me and says, you lived a life that was sacrificial, that was giving, not a life that, that where I just, I just, everybody gave to me. That's not what this is about. But your money given to a Bible-believing church and allowing them to use it to get the gospel around the world, to keep the church functioning, to get the word of God out, and to build souls and to save souls is going to cause you to receive the righteousness of God forever. I'm okay with that. That's a proposition that I'll I'll take every single time. All right, and then Matthew 5, they who, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So it turns out that seeking righteousness will see to it. You are filled. You are filled. You're not going to hunger and thirst after righteousness and end up starving. God said, if you will hunger and thirst after righteousness, I will fill you. Well, how do I do that? You live every day in belief of God's word. You give your money, you give your time, you give your energy, you give everything you've got in belief and faith to God. And he'll see to it that righteousness abounds and that you are filled with the righteousness of God without fail. But once again, where was the starting point? The gospel of Jesus Christ which is the power of God unto salvation. And in that gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed to you, to me, to everyone who would live by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being so, 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 so good to us. Lord, we sure love you. Pray you'd help us to live according to your word. Help us to give our all, Lord, to to Jesus Christ. This life is but a vapor. It, it, It vanishes so, so quickly. And uh, we want to make sure that we do all we can to serve you, to live for you, to be faithful to you, to be true to you. And Lord, that you'd be preeminent in our finances, in our time, in our energy, our relationships, everything that we do, Lord, you would just be preeminent and that we would do it all for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd help us, give us wisdom and understanding, help us to apply all this to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.